Hello everyone, I'm Mike from The Self App, and thank you for listening to The Self App Podcast. This is a show where we discuss all things good thoughts, good words, good deeds related, and interview people passionate about being their best self, and who are helping others to be their best self too. Some of the segments include Coaching Clinic, where we talk to psychologists, motivational thinkers, and life coaches. Book Club, where we discuss and share reviews on our favorite books. Startup Spotlight, taking a pre-seed and more often than not non-techie view on starting a business and running a business. Health and Fitness Hustle, where we provide tips, tricks, and training from experts. And Esoteric Edge, a look at hidden or secret philosophy and how it can help you be your best self. If you haven't already, please download the Self app where we deliver you a collection of tools to help you be your best self. And 3% of all our profits are donated to charity. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. Today, it's my privilege to introduce you to Jason Fraser. Jason had a passion for aviation from a very early age. While his peers were playing sports or socializing on weekends, Jason was taking flight training and building up flying hours as a teenager. Leaving school to go on to university, Jason earned his Bachelor's of Aviation degree and pursued his lifelong passion of becoming a pilot for a commercial airline. Jason has lived in Vietnam and has flown all over the world and continues to work for a major international airline, though furloughed due to COVID. Jason has a passion for investing, including crypto, camping, paragliding, kite surfing, and basically anything Batman would do. Jason resides in Sydney with his wife and two children and has a fascination with esoteric philosophy and its influence on government, economics and society. Today, we're going to learn a little more about esoteric philosophy and how it can help you be your best self. And for our listeners, all opinions heard herein are personal, not those of our employers and are expressed purely for entertainment purposes only. So Jason, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to explore esoteric philosophy? Nico, good to see you, mate. I'm very excited for this project of yours and uh, and stoked to be here with you. Um, I don't know if your listeners know our sort of background and, and how far we go back. I was thinking about this this morning. It's uh, nearly 30 years coming up that we've known each other. And, and really, that started uh, along with you, I would say, um, having gone to Catholic school as we did, we always had this spiritual acknowledgement in our life. Um, and I'd say one of the biggest turning points in the understanding of that was when you and I both chose to um, take religious studies at a, at a higher level than the minimum required. And that really had a big difference. We've talked about this before, how rather than just learning how to recite the Bible, we started uh, in the two-unit religion, learning about other religions, and rather than focusing on Catholicism, it was more about spirituality. And that was a big awakening for me um, to get an understanding of what else is out there and, and look at religion rather than being forced on us as had been for the last 13 years of Catholic school. Now it was a choice and a choice in, in spiritualism, what you choose to believe and how to pursue that consciousness in your own individual way. So that's how really, I guess, I started along that path. Um, but then um, I kind of lost my way and went to the hedonistic life for a while. <laughs> Enjoying um, <clears throat> the good life for a while before now 
um, sort of coming back to it in, in middle age and when you start having more time to focus on that spirituality again and start asking questions and I don't know whether it's a middle-aged thing where you start questioning um, is there more to this life is um, but you sort of I have anyways come back to that um, spiritual side of things and starting to um, look at which path now I think I'm interested in which and I'm interested to hear your perspective on this as well because so I've been looking at the uh, the left path versus the right path mm -hmm. and um, doing a bit of reading on, on which one to choose um, if there is a choice now so <clears throat> the right path I'm not sure um, how deep you're going into this, but the right path generally is my understanding is that it's sort of the more uh, community orientated, more the philosophy that um, a high tide floats all boats. So it's more of like a collective consciousness that's um, being improved. So whereas as opposed to the left path, which is more of an individual path, more a path of uh, you follow your own bliss. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now, which is it's interesting sort of reading things about left path versus right path. They both have the common element that they're both striving to improve consciousness and improve the self and seeking enlightenment and two different pathways to get there. So, you know, we, we've gone, we have actually gone into a, a, a quite a niche um, area here. And, and I want to take a little bit of a step back before we come back to what you've just described, which is left-hand path and right-hand path. Um, can, can you give us your personal interpretation of what the difference between esoteric um, and exoteric, and you did touch on it earlier on, but um, you know, just for our audiences who may be tuning in for this for the first time and going, what are these two dumpties on about? Um, you know, how, can you can you yes. define the two natures of what is what is esoteric philosophy or es esoteric spirituality versus exoteric? Because that's a really good place to start, and, and this will help us as as we go down yeah. the rabbit hole. I guess so the, the, the definition really of the esoteric is that it's um, understood by uh, the few isn't it that it's it's fairly particular and um, I guess by construct then you you're going to have people in, in that esoteric uh, philosophy that want to be there that, that are searching for something whereas I believe that exoteric is perhaps more um, an organized construct that's that maybe you join by choice or, or maybe you're kind of all, not pushed into it is not the right word but maybe you join it by default as in that's that's the way that your family always has been so you go along with that or in your community you sort of go along with that yeah it's um, it's a really good good way to help define it I'm, I'm probably going to throw my my two cents on the top and say that exoteric um, religion is is more institutional it's it's you know the the outer versions of each and and most people are very familiar with the the 
the doctrine um, of of Christianity, of Islam, of Buddhism, of Hinduism, of Judaism. Um, esoteric philosophy is taking an internal or inner path that I, I guess the, the likeness I would put it through to anyone who understands psychological concepts is think about an external locus of control and an internal locus of control. And I think esoteric philosophy aims to travel down the internal locus of control. Um, and this is where we come back to the point um, that you described earlier is when you're faced with this internal locus of control, you're kind of confronted with true choice, right? And this, this is all about the will and the will um, and you talked about a little bit of, of following your bliss, but um, you know there's a there's a very famous left-hand pathist called Alistair Crowley who um, you know is very famous for saying um, you know do thou will um, that is the whole of the law or, or the law of Thelema is is doing the will your will your personal will or the, your higher will. Um, but coming back, uh, I, I want to share a little quote if you don't mind. Um, that I think really summarizes the difference between esoteric philosophy and, and taking an internal locus of control and exoteric religion, for lack of a better term. And it's going to be taken from the Bible itself, from 1 Corinthians 3. Um, and it's uh, it starts uh, with Paul talking to um, God's fellow workers, and it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were unable to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For where is uh, there among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? And while this is the, the original King James Version, really, um, you'll find that Arthur Edward Waite, one of the founders of the Golden Dawn, kind of talks about this in, in the Holy Kabbalah, his book, The Holy Kabbalah, and he says that the, the, the exoteric religion really is the, the milk for babes. It's, it's kind of very early on, it's a very base foundation, um, but esoterica tends to be a lot media. It's, it's a lot hardy, it's, it can be very hard to bear, and um, you know, what goes along with those who follow also an external locus of control is, is the carnal life, what many in other philosophies might call the cycle of moksha or birth and redeath, as opposed to those who um, are of the spiritual, which is, you know, awakening, for lack of a better term, the sense of, <laughs> of will and divine purpose. So um, coming back to a little bit about you you talking about earlier i really want to focus on your journey which is why i'm so thrilled to have you on the show right because it excites me and every time you pick up the phone to me i'm like whoa this is cool or damn i want to go and read about that or i want to learn about this too um because it's really cool but tell us a little bit about um you know you kind of said you're on the precipice of a choice you know why what do you feel you're going to get out of one versus the other and what you know what, what what has brought you to to the ledge you're at now as you're looking at taking your journey further down the rabbit holes <clears throat> yeah it's um it's interesting originally when i was looking into this mystic philosophy of, and found the left and the right path i was naturally drawn towards the right path perhaps because of um, the past being involved with the exoteric as you were just describing um, and the philosophy that um, 
a high tide floats all boats. It's, it's, I want to help the community and the more people that can be raised in consciousness, the better, right? But um, so then I start reading some more and although the left path is given a connotation as the dark path, um, I've come to understand that better and starting to question now whether the left path is, is more suited to uh, my sort of uh, way and, and what I'm searching for mm. as an individual. Mm. So um, now rather than being a group effort, I think uh, at this stage I'm more interested in self enlightenment in self-help um, if that makes sense mm -hmm. so it, on face value when they say the left path is the dark path the right path is the light path everything's dialectic as you say in your book you know that the good the the bad light dark warm cold and all those negative connotations are given to the left path um, in reality, I don't think it is so dialectic. I think, um, as I was saying before, they have the same aim for enlightenment and, uh, and betterment of the self, increasing consciousness. It's just the different pathways to get there. Um, so yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well, Miko, where um, there is no sort of dialectic between uh, good and evil, dark and light. One can't exist without the other. Um, and do you choose the path to, en to enlightenment um, for the greater good? As perhaps this, this whole self um, app of yours is doing, you know, you're, you're putting that message out there, which is fantastic, is that do you sort of understand that that's probably more the right right hand path and uh and perhaps i'm leaning more towards now the individual's path of the left hand path for, for self-betterment it's a great question it's probably not something I'd, I'd thought about i mean if i if i think about what the self app is is about it's it's definitely um about you know in many ways i find it as a middle path um, and what I mean by that is uh, we, if you think about what you talked about, which is I, I want to discover my own will, right? What the self-app does is give tools for an individual to take those and, and much like you're walking into um, a you know a store where you buy clothes for example and you go into stores and, and you know we send quotes every day and i have some pretty challenging quotes and a lot of them are from esoteric thinkers from both left and right parts and you know there is always this tension between i think free will and determinism and you, you know you've got even today you've got thinkers on the intellectual dark web saying there is no free will it's all determinism and then others are saying well no you know it's not and you know as you discover this journey you find that there's actually a spectrum of both there is a degree of free will and there's a degree of determinism um and my view is this right i'm not here to and the self-app is not about informing you how to think it's in many ways i hope allowing you to take reflection on what you think so really just like 
your own decision, your choice as a precipice now, and you're, you're looking at the left-hand path. Um, I think that's the right way to go about um, helping others. You know, I think you can do both at the same time. You can help people be their best self and on an individual level, find what they want, but at the same time, benefit the community, which is one of the huge aims of what we're trying to do because we've got a philanthropic model and, you know, mm -hmm. I, I want to get, uh, you know, my one of my own personal intents is helping people rise above, um, you know, to, to a degree, uh, what we talked about earlier is having any form of narrative uh, imposed on you, right? And and that's my view is you've got to think for yourself, you've got to feel for yourself, you've got to pursue your own will. And I think that that's absolutely the best way for people to move forward. I also don't think that, um, you know, as you discover one path, you know, you exclude the other. I think, you know, Jung to me said it best where he said in order for a tree to reach up to heaven, its roots must delve down to hell, deep into hell. And I look at it that way. I think there are aspects of our personality that you can't just cut off and you can't just deny. You know, I think for me, what defines the left-hand path is is a little more along the lines of, of hedonism and just, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've heard one thinker on, on the path say, hey, the path to liberation is through ultimate sin um, and sinning. And, and you know, you kind of kind of got to discover the divine spark in, in orgiastic kind of crazy self-debasement. And I think to a degree, Crowley, as we know, we both know and have read a little bit about Alistair Crowley, you know, he, he pursued um, a lot of avenues in, in, in attempting to unlock and, and uncover his own true will and, and his communication with his uh, daemon. And for those who kind of don't understand the concept of daemon, very Socratic term, which um, says that every human being has access to a kind of an intelligence, almost like an AI. You think about it as a personal AI like Tony Stark had in um, Marvel, where he talks to his AI and, and back and forth. Well, for for um, Socrates, his own personal daemon was this intelligence that was non-physical that that he could tune into through practices, rites, rituals, and and purification, and get access to knowledge and wisdom from the other side or from outside the the really the four dimensions um, that we live in. Um, and and Crowley accessed one of these daemons as well. Um, for those who know his story, I, I don't need to go into it today. But you, you know, I think. Uh, you know, like, like human beings, we're all individual, we're all unique. There's not um, going to be a path that suits everyone. I think you've got to just take one step at a time, unlock um, your own journey. And then for me, it's it's about rectifying it back to what what honestly is best for you and, and as as least harmful for others as possible, right? You, you know, do no harm is, is ultimately right. the, the aim for me. And I think that that's... Um, one of the reasons why I really enjoy speaking with you because we we have these discussions and um, yeah yeah. But today isn't about me. I kind of just you, you threw yeah, me on no, the spot. <laughs> I think that's super interesting, and and um, I 100% agree with you that Crowley was left path, and initially looking at the two pathways, that's what deterred me from going left path because. It has these negative connotations. You know, Crowley was associated with the left, the dark um, magic, sort of, and the dark elements are associated with the left. Mm. Um, but then it's interesting to, to to sort of think that you can't have the darkness without the light. That even if you pursue the right-hand path, 
there comes a point where they start teaching left-hand path magic as well. And perhaps the left-hand path, you know, being more self-orientated, free thinking, um, it's central of the self. If not, um, I started thinking, yeah, you know, like it's not just so orientated with uh, the dark arts and the dark things. It's maybe it's just uh, somebody on their own journey, you know, mm -hmm. as Joseph Campbell talks about in, in the hero's journey, right? Mm -hmm. That's more of an individual thing. Um, going out and, and learning and coming back to then um, benefit society, I guess. So, um, and the left-hand path is almost a way of you're not um, seeking social um, acceptance. You're doing this for you, not for anybody else. So without delving into the, the, to the dark side of things which, and the satanic side of things, which doesn't interest me whatsoever, I think um, the, the left path is sort of more my leaning at, at this stage. You know? And um, I guess an interesting question then is, you know, do you think that um, talking about Joseph Campbell's um, The Hero of a Thousand Faces, you know, do you think Jesus was on the left-hand path as an individual? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I, I, I don't. Um, but I also think there's so much confusion with left-hand path and right-hand path. And look, if we were to get into this today, we we would people would think we'd pop DMT ayahuasca or something like that, right? <laughs> like, and, and and it comes down. Look, there's a lot of if, if anyone online is tuning in for the first time, I don't want to get into kind of Enochian script and the Zohar and and many of the the um, Hebrew and Judaic mystery novels, but really a lot of this can be found in, in the Zohar and, and the, the very huge volumes of the Zohar and the Kabbalah. And, um, you know, really, I think what, and, and the main reason is, is, is that there, there are effectively two trees. There's the tree of life and, and the Kabbalah, and then there's what's um, called its shadow or its offshoot, which is the, the cliff off. Um, and they have, correspondence along this tree and it's it's said that you know the the dark followed the light and and kind of cloned it but but you know in, and in very nefarious ways you know it's it's intimated that uh, as you would always again and come it comes back to this world of duality that we we live in um but i think for me as opposed to this sense of returning to oblivion you, you know and, and i i see a lot of people in this space who follow the Kabbalah who say, you know, your consciousness basically needs to be really refined and ultimately abandoned. Like your own personality, your own individuality needs to be surrendered completely and, and dissolved and destroyed um, into supra consciousness or, or back to source or back to, to God, right? And and some of this kind of doesn't sit well with left-hand pathis and, and where you talk about the really extreme ends of left-hand pathis because it links back to the fallen angels and the concept of the rebellion that happened as opposed to, you know, the first sons of God were, were these angels and they were pure spirit. And um, when God created man, you created this fusion of spirit and soul. Um, 
and all were made to bow down before Adam and, and he was defined as holier and greater than all of the, even the highest choir of angels. And there were a group naturally that were like, fuck that. Um, and this is where the start of this rebellion happened. And, and you know, again, you can kind of see the allegories in in the nature of, of uh, again, this individual versus collective consciousness. And, and I think, you know, there's different parts of Vedan, and, and I'm going a long way of saying, I think Buddhism and at least some of the exoteric Buddhism and, and Vedantism, some of the Hindu philosophies talk about this concept, this similar annihilation. Um, I, I don't tend to think that's the case. You know, if you look at what Christ's message was, uh, and I'm talking the Christos, the, you know, Yeshua who became mm -hmm. yeah, Christos yeah. Um, in an esoteric sense, I think that, that <clears throat> there was something different. I think there was definitely a, a, a dying to a personal um, attack, dying to, the, you know, we, we started with that one Corinthians quote about the carnal mm -hmm. and the spiritual. And I, I kind of think of these as two worlds or almost two universes that, that stand alone. And I think you've got to die to one to break free of this cycle of birth and redeath, um, birth and birth and rebirth and, and reincarnation. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, Christianity did have reincarnation as a tenant um, at the Council of Nicaea. Yeah, at the Council of Nicaea, it was implemented. Um, I think it was Origen. Um, or Clement of Alexandria, one or two, and then one of them was um, excommunicated about a hundred years later. After they're like, no, 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 we pull, we pull the reincarnation story, folks. It's one life, and then you go into heaven. Um, but really, what I think Christ was about was definitely dying to a personal, um, to, to a carnal life, to, to a slave to your ego, a slave to your passions and desires, a slave to your narratives, um, and, and even to you know your lower, call it your limbic brain. And, and raising a higher consciousness. But I also think it was about liberation. I think there was, a, I when you, you hear about the bride and the bridegroom, which he's talked a lot about um, Christ and particularly in Revelation, I think there was a sacred marriage between um, this sense of perhaps universality, which may be called the kingdom of heaven and then the kingdom of earth. And I think there is an influx that was driven in into this bride and bridegroom unity and i for me this is my understanding of what the true right hand path is about it's not about um kind of an immersion into kind of a communist totalitarian one unity of of you know the overarching lord of of the lower realm the demiurgic jehovah you know i am a jealous god you come back and unify with me I kind of think it is a, a reflection of um, being able to express your your best self, like, like the truest and, ref, and most refined and virtuous aspects of your personality um, as a unique individual that you talk about, but tapping into all of the non-physical, wonderful, um, love-based intelligence that flows through you as you reach that level. So to me, I, I probably think having said that that that's a very right hand path aspect but i think it's very a middle another middle path version of becoming you know the word incarnate so that that, that would be my my take i i'm you know again this is all all opinions for entertainment purposes and uh i don't know um but it, it's 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 my take that that's that's the difference between um christ and it was probably very confronting to a lot of um, 
mystics at the time that, that um, you, you know, he went down that path. But the reality is, I think, um, you know, again, we've, you've, we've all got to find um, the best way for us to, in, in truth, escape and to escape the carnal cycle and what what being subject to a carnal law really means and that that being kind of like i see it as a washing machine of just you know old patterns old old habits being repeated and you stuck on this with the wheel of fortune right um and a bit of a slave to fate and i think that's that's what being spiritual means but i think it also comes at a pretty big cost so um you know i'm yet to, to understand that but you know, I think also you kind of need to, like a junkie. Um, you know, they say that if you're a junkie, you gotta you gotta get to the point where you hit rock bottom, because it doesn't matter who from the outside loves you or wants to see your salvation until you make the decision internally. You ain't never getting off the smack, right? I, I would say it's probably similar in terms of moksha or in terms of the cycle of rebirth until you kind of get to the point where you're like, damn, I'm sick of. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of, you know, being led by impulses, being driven by impulses, being a slave to, um, you know, my addictions, my booze, my, my drugs, my sex, um, all of that kind of stuff is coming right back to what you said at the start. You know, is there more? Is, is there more than, than, than that? And if there is, how do you break the cycle and get out of it? So you're less subject to a, a, a kind of a, a universe that is, is, I would say, in carnal law, a universe is almost hostile because you, you're kind of, it's you're trying to survive. You're in that survival brain, and you're constantly finding these patterns yeah. that reinforce what's already subconsciously in your mind, as opposed to transcending that to being spiritual. And you probably bear a heavier burden and a heavier yoke or a heavier cross. Maybe that's the inference that Paul was making. But in that state, as being um, bearing a higher responsibility you probably also it comes with certain bonuses or certain benefits which are less subject to um the swings and arrows of outrageous fortune but also a, an offer that you have to serve you have to try and better your fellow man so i mean i'm, I'm like you the reason i got you on the show and I'm, I'm super eager to make this a semi-regular spot is you know i'm discovering this myself we're both students on a journey um this is just you, you blow me away every time Nico, with, with your knowledge <laughs> and, and understanding well, and speculation just when i think i'm con just when i think i'm convinced one way you know i listen to you and like ah now i've got to start all over again <laughs> dude it's all speculation you know like this, this is what it is it's for entertainment purposes but you know it's a safe space for us to both mm -hmm. say um you know and ultimately what this i hope our listeners get this too is you know i'm, I'm not here to convince anyone and I know you're not either Jason Absolutely. we're here to Absolutely, accept each yeah. other and say what's right for you is right for you what's right for me is right for me um, yeah. but yeah. as you follow your path and as I follow mine just do no harm you know like as long as you're not infringing Absolutely. on my sovereignty and I'm not infringing on yours you know I think coming back to that do that will then that you're all going to be to be fine and you're all going to be able to live the life as a quantum unit in a spooky universe that you are and have the yeah. fulfillment you want um, as as am I and, and hopefully our, our audience um, gets as much fulfillment out of their lives as possible too. Absolutely. We're all searching for meaning yeah. and we're yeah. all going to take different paths to get there. And um, yeah, that's it's, what we're all about. Well, it's it? fascinating. You're right because talking about meaning, you know, you, you shared with me an article on Viktor Frankl the other day and he came up and, and, you know, I actually um, was getting kind of a synchronicity moment where a few other people were pinging some Viktor Frankl stuff. And, you know, I, can't, I guess this is where my 
Um, my question on the validity of the left-hand path was, was Viktor Frankl, for those who don't know, um, was the founder of logotherapy. And he was also a um, an inmate of multiple concentration camps, in, including Auschwitz, under um, the horrific conditions of, of um, Nazi control over, over Germany um, and, and Poland and a number of other nations during World War II. But in his experience of the concentration camps, you know, he's very famous for coming um, back to a central point, which is, you know, it, it kind of doesn't matter the conditions, you get to choose your attitude conditions. And that was a pretty profound, and when you think about the conditions that produced that specific point of view to me, it's, it's both exasperating and completely humbling, right? Because I don't think anyone today can even fathom the depravity of what it's like to have your, your mother, father, wife ripped from you, your wife dies while you're in a concentration camp and then you spend your time observing other inmates and how they respond and how they respond with humour and how those Incredible. those situations keep you alive. Mm. And, and, um, and looking for meaning in that, yeah. And I think, you know, he also, um, for me, I would say Viktor Frankl certainly whether he, he studied any of, of esoteric philosophy or not, lent to the right-hand path. And the main reason is this, right? And, and, you know, he talked a little bit about those who take drugs to access higher degrees of consciousness. And he, he said, uh, you know, we'll try and find meaning through LSD. And he was, he, was, he, he was a big opponent of those who were taking LSD at the time. And, you know, I think, you know, as he came out, I, I certainly think Alistair, uh, sorry, not Alistair, really, Alvis Huxley was, was you know, probably riding doors of perception where he was he was running his mescaline hits. Um, and now today it's really um, commonplace actually for many, many people to talk about ayahuasca and taking DMT and, you know, the impact of what that specific chemical has on you being able to perceive or, or break through or shatter through um, potentially dimensions of perception. Um, but Viktor Frankl came back to a point and he said that for those who are, who are using drugs to achieve that, um, you're taking a blind alley. And that resonated hugely with me, primarily because of, of what he went through. But I thought, you know, it comes back to this carnal versus spiritual and milk for babes and meat for, for those who can bear it. And I think maybe that's the case. I mean, I certainly think there's validity in, in sin. And, and, you know, if you, you need to pop mushrooms or LSD or whatever to kind of get a sense of there's something more in life. And if that helps put you on a path, then to your point, great, right? You're on a path. It's, it's, it's helped you refine meaning and it's helped you make sense of, of reality and your world and your place in it. Um, but I think if you're using that, it's it's going to be like a crutch. And I certainly think you're going to run down blind alleys and sooner or later. Um, and I, I having, you know, for those who don't know about Alistair Crowley, he died with a, a heroin needle in his arm and, and screaming to Satan. He said, you know, Satan, leave me or get out. And um, I think that to me harkens well to what we're kind of talking about, right? Like... To a degree, explore your senses, get to the point at where you, you kind of have, have had your fill and taken of all of the fruits. Um, and, and then 
consider that maybe it's not going to lead you on the right trajectory. You may end up down a blind alley. And and maybe that's where, you know, for today's session, I, I probably, you've just stimulated this thought, but it reminds me a lot of the prodigal son, right? And the prodigal son, um, for the story uh, who don't know, and I think it's pretty ubiquitous, but I'll relate it really short term is, you know, you had a father who owned a plantation, really wealthy plantation owner, had two sons. The younger son um, came to his father and said, this is slavery. I don't want to be a part of this. Um, you know, there's more to the world than this. Can you give me my inheritance up front so I can go out and bam. Um, and the father reluctantly went, well, yeah. And so this son went out, blew his fortune on women, wine, partying, and was addicted to this lifestyle. And then in the end, he um, got into hock with some money lenders. And there's a money lender aspect that comes into this. And he became subservient because once he ran out of that credit and couldn't pay it back and his father was like, you got your share of the inheritance, you cut off, I'm not bailing you out anymore. He was on his own and uh, he ended up in, in servitude to the moneylender and had to work in on the moneylender's plantation, funnily enough, as, as one of the lowest workers. And it was said, you know, there's an extrapolated story, I think, where he gets beaten by other workers, he gets robbed, his robes get taken, he's left naked and bleeding and he's in this horrible, horrible state. And um, I don't know the ways or means by which he gets word back to, you know, his father on the plantation, but he kind of says, look, I will do anything I can to get the hell out of this horrible condition on this plantation. Can you can you please pay my debt and, and save me? Um, and what ends up happening, or it may just be he worked off his debt. I don't, I don't know the nuance of the story, but in the end, he he does get his liberty after enduring incredible suffering and seeing what it's like, almost what the fruits of carnal law are like, um, and how those who don't have a, a good mindset treat workers, treat people, treat their their fellow man. And he runs back to the father and he kind of says, "Father, thank you." I, I, I will humbly work on on your land wherever you need me to because I know you're a, you're actually a really good man. And you know his father embraces him, put a fine cloak, and puts a ring back on him. And his other brother's like, "What the hell are you you doing treating him like a valued son?" <laughs> but but he says, you know, like 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 the the shepherd that has ninety nine you know sheep and one goes missing, um, how valuable it is to get that one sheep back. Like the sense of you know, there's a herd mindset and an individual mindset that we, we come right back to. And, and I think it's incredible that an individual goes out and explores who they are and what they are, and then makes a decision, an informed choice of will to come back to better meaning, whatever that is, you know, to have meaning and, and hopefully that's in service of others, but also to recognize what good is and, and what good leadership and good governance is. And, and that's why I love that story. I think it ties perfectly to what we're talking about today. Does does that mean that's right hand path or left hand path? I, again, I I think it's middle path. I think it says that you kind of got to experience the depths of hell to understand mm -hmm. the the heights of heaven. Um, but I think you know that's it's also up for every individual to do that. You can't enforce it or impose it or do what institutionalized religions have done and do. Um, I certainly think if it's offered as a, as a framework and a base um, from a narrative perspective and, and you offer parables the way coming back to your, your representation of Christ did and a number of other brilliant leaders do is, is offer parables and stories that make people think and, and help them inform a choice, then absolutely. But 
at the end of the day, I don't know. We're all here discovering this, and this is why um, yeah. I love speaking with you. It's a it's a super fascinating concept. Always, Miko, and um, always learn so much talking with you, mate. It's always a pleasure. Likewise, man. I mean, you, you really <laughs> pushed me today into an area where I didn't think I'd be doing much of the talking. But while we wrap up, I want to ask um, you to leave our audience, if you would be so kind, with what's a key piece of insight or advice you can offer listeners to help them be their best self? You have to do what makes you happy. Obviously not at the expense of others, but um, pursue what makes you happy and do more of it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, look, um, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to our um, rabbit hole of an opinion session on a really, (laughs) really... I didn't think it was going to get that deep Neither did I. Neither (laughs) did I, but we went there anyway. Um, So, Jace, to you, thank you so, so much for coming on the Self App podcast and sharing this today. My pleasure. Um, Thank you, Miko. I'm so excited for this uh, Self App and, and... and where it's going and, and what it's you. going to achieve. Thank it's you. It's going to be fantastic. So much. Well, look, I hope our audience gets a kick out of it. Um, and speaking of our audience, thank you all for listening. And before you go, I ask you do us a good deed. Share this with one other person. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you tuned in. Um, for more Best Self Goodness, you can find us on social by searching for The Self App. And from us to you, keep up the good thoughts, good words, good deeds, and continue to level up your best self. Thanks, everyone, and goodbye.